there. All right, so we're looking at 1 Samuel 21 and 22. I wanted to let you know I got my check. I don't know if you got yours. A beautiful $30,000 check. Did you get yours? Well, I got mine. It came in an envelope. Uh, it was windowed, professional looking. I could see the blue background of the check. I knew it was a check. I, I was excited to open that thing up. And the only problem is it says non-negotiable, non-transferable. And it was an ad for financing. You know, kind of disappointing, especially when you see $30,000 on that line. I don't know if I'm getting old. Excuse me, I guess that is a true statement. Uh, but have you, noticed, have you noticed how our world seems to be getting increasingly more deceitful? All around us, there's deceit. For, consider the telemarketer that calls and leaves a message for you on your phone. And, and he says, it goes something like this. Hey, Greg, it's Steve. And he, and he says it just like he knows you. He says, hey, I'm just getting back to you. Give me a call. And he leaves his number. And I'm thinking, that's not the Steve I know. And I don't remember leaving a message for this guy. Or how about when you, um, when you call that business that you've been calling very, very often over the past couple of years, and you hear this recording, please listen carefully as our options have changed. It's funny, you've been calling this company for years and the options haven't changed at all. Or maybe you're on, you're on hold and you hear that message, that recording that goes, we are experiencing higher than normal call volume. And every time you call, they're experiencing higher than normal call volume. Or on a bigger stage, are you familiar with the story about Volkswagen? This goes back a couple of years. Caught cheating with their admissions testing. They, uh, they were caught with, actually it was a software, a defeat measure that was in their software that in the diesel engines they could detect when they were being tested and they changed the performance to improve the results just for that test. Maybe you've been watching the Olympics. Have you seen that designation OAR, which stands for Olympic Athletes from Russia. Well, Russia was caught cheating, and this is, this is part of the sanctions that they're receiving, and they were caught for this vast government-run doping scheme that they had going on with their athletes, and they were actually, they found evidence that Russia was involved in tactics with urine sample swapping to mask the athletes cheating in international sports. So it's, it's pervasive all around us. But each of these examples, they're somewhat easy to look at and be somewhat detached from. So let's get a little more personal. You're working on your taxes, and you have this little chunk of income, and you're, you've got a little flexibility, and you're thinking to yourself, perhaps I don't need to report that. The government already has enough of my money. They, they'll never see this, right? Or you're in sales, self-employed. Competition's heavy and you're competing for, that, for that, uh, that transaction. You've negotiated with your buyer. You've got a price set. And the buyer says to you, okay, I'm good with that price. I want you to take cash and remove the sales tax. You want the sale. You've got to make ends meet, right? You get home after work. You see that you've got a credit card bill that has come. You know the bill. In fact, there's an item on that bill that you don't want your wife to see. So you quickly snatch that envelope. It's still sealed. You put it in your briefcase. You're going to pay it at work tomorrow where she won't see it, and then you'll quietly file it away. She'll probably never know. And it's not a big deal, right? 
You're out to lunch with a female acquaintance at work. There's nothing going on there, but you're at your lunch with her and in walks somebody from church. You quickly dismiss yourself and purposely go up to the counter to greet that friend from church and you tell them that, well, this is just a friend of mine and, and my friend of my wife and mutual acquaintance and my wife was actually going to be down here, but she couldn't make it. You don't want rumors going around, right? So it's okay. Your boss asks, asks you, did you follow up with that client? Well, in reality, it was a small thing, but you never did it. You dropped the ball. You forgot. But it's a small thing, and you can take care of it quickly. So you say to your boss, yep, took care of it. And then you quickly go and take care of it. It got done, right? It's okay. It's a small lie. The reality is that each of these are lies and deceit. And it's my intent to, to put these in front of you to consider to take a look at your own life, because as we jump into the morning's, this morning's lesson, I want you to, to take this and apply this personally to your own life. Even lying might be considered, while lying might, might be considered a common thing, and therefore it's okay, it's not acceptable to a holy God. Proverbs 12, tells us what the Lord thinks of lying. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are His delight. And this makes sense, right? God is truth, Isaiah 65 tells us. In, in Ephesians 6.18, it tells us it is impossible for God to lie. Numbers 23.19 says it like this, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So God is serious about this issue of, de of deceit. And it's an issue that is center stage for our main character, David, as we jump into our passage today. We're going to see, we're going to see this passage here where we're looking at 1 Samuel 21 and 22. We're going to say, see the deceits of David all through chapter 21. And then we'll see the devastating results that come from those lies and deceit in chapter 22. But through both chapters, we see God's provision all the way through. Now, coming off the last chapter, 1 Samuel 20, it is clear that David is on the run, and his situation has been pressurized. David has just left Jonathan, who confirmed his worst fear. Saul wants David killed. David is certainly in a fearful place, and he is all alone. And he's just left his dear friend, Jonathan. And now he is by himself on the run. And we can certainly understand his desperate state. Well, let's take a look at the passage and read in 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said, Why are you all alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has cha charged me with this matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of this matter about which I, am to, to, which, about which I send you and with which I have cha charged you. I have made, and I have made an appointment with men for such and such a place. And now then, what do you have on hand? David is desperate. He needs food, provision. And he's being tested here by God as he's on the run. And if you've done this study, you've already well, you're already well aware of how David performs in this action. 
But one thing that stands out to me as we look at chapter 21 is how David seems to have forgotten where he has come from. If we look back just to, to 1 Samuel 17, 45, remember when he came up against Goliath? Let me read that passage to you and remind you where David's mindset was back then. It says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you defile. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Much different attitude David had at that point. But in our chapter here, this does not seem to be David's line of thinking. He approaches Ahimelech, and here David seems to be relying on himself and not on the Lord. Now as you read this, you might have likely had the same response as me. Why is Ahimelech trembling with fear? Is it something in the way David approaches him? Or is it, in fact, like he said, why are you all alone and no one is with you? But clearly, Ahimelech senses that something is wrong. But what is wrong from our perspective is what comes next. It's the first of David's lies. He tells the priest that he is on a secret mission for the king. And then he builds on that lie with his second lie. He says, I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such place. And herein lies the problem that exists throughout this chapter, deceit and lies. And this same problem not only entraps David, but also us, does it not? Did you read this passage and, and find yourself wanting to give David a pass in his deceit? I get it. David, his life is on the line. He's on the run. But we need to recognize that we do not get a pass because our motive is good. In the book of the law, Leviticus 19.11 says, You shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. In Colossians, in the New Testament, it says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Why should we not lie? Because we are being renewed in the knowledge after the creator, the image of our creator. Wow, that's something. Zephaniah 3 says it like this as it speaks of the Lord's remnant that will be in Israel. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly, and they shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Wouldn't you like that to be a description of you? Well, that's going to take some work. It's going to take some aggressive soul searching on our part. And it is my hope that your conscience has been pricked and you're ready to respond to this challenge. Let's put it down like this for point number one. Aggressively root out deceit in your life. Aggressively root out deceit in your life. Have you ever noticed how one lie typically begets another? One lie comes, then there's a second, then there's a third. That's something we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of. As you're tempted to let that first lie go, just remember there's another one that's going to be coming right behind it, and then another. So don't even start with number one. 
As David asks for bread, for provision, the priest inquires of David. And this is where the lie just continues. He inquires whether or not David and his men have kept themselves from women. It's interesting that Ahimelech should even ask this question, by the way, because the reality is that only the priests were allowed to partake of this bread, and they were to do it in the holy place. But Ahimelech apparently has mercy on David and gives him the bread. But note David's response to Ahimelech's question. It almost seems like he's responding out of a sense of pride in how he and his men are kept holy when they go on expedition, and, and especially for this expedition here. Yet as he is staking out his ground of holiness, he is doing it in the midst of a lie. Not very holy indeed, is it? A truth for all of us to remember is that we can never be holy before the Lord with deceit in our mouth. We can never be holy before the Lord with deceit in our mouth. David continues to build on his first and his second and his third lie as he asks Ahimelech for a sword. And he tells him that because the king's business required haste, David had to leave without a weapon. And I read this and I'm thinking to myself, why is Ahimelech even buying this hokey story? This is really getting out there. But Ahimelech responds. And that's where we see God's providence staring us right in the face. Because lo and behold, what sword is it? But the sword that David used to kill Goliath, Goliath's own sword, laying there in the temple. And I almost feel like I'm part of the audience watching a superhero at this point. One where our hero has lost his way, he's forgotten who he is and where he came from, but now he has this sword that should bring back those memories of victory when he, when he was fully trusting in the Lord. I'm so hopeful, and yet it's not to be so. David then flees to Gath and to stand before Achish, the king of Gath. Now perhaps David thought that he would find refuge there in Gath. But quickly he realizes he is at, at risk. And so what does he do? He moves into his deceit mode again, right? He changes his behavior and pretends to be insane. Do you see the pattern at play here? One lie begets another and then another. And one more thing that's happening here and happens to us also. When you lie, your conscience is being slowly seared. You tell that first lie and you feel a little bit of guilt. And then you tell the next one, and the guilt is a little less, and so forth. Our conscience will be seared the more and more we lie. I mentioned Volkswagen earlier. There's a gentleman by the name of John German. He's part of the International Council on Clean Transportation. And he made this statement about Volkswagen and their deceit. You take a little step, you don't get caught. So, yeah, you take another little step. And then maybe you don't even realize about how far down the line you are. So true, is it not? 1 Timothy 4 puts it like this in verse 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from their faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences have been seared. So our consciences will be seared the more and more we lie. So beware of even stepping out with that first lie. Don't do it. The amazing thing about David before the king of Gath is how far David has drifted from where he has been. In chapters past, his reliance was clearly on the Lord. He is standing there now with the sword of Goliath before this king. And he should have been, that should have been a great reminder. And then the king's, Achish's uh, servants 
are talking about David's reputation. David who has struck down ten thousands. But David's not hearing that. David should have stood up to this, this king. He stood up to Goliath and with the help of the Lord, he struck him down. And now he stands before a small king, a king of a city, and he is afraid. And I get it. David is stuck in fear and his eyes are not on the Lord. And that is something we need to remember. Because fear will do that to us, will it not? In fact, I have a short list of things that, that, do, that cause us to step out and to lie. Let's take a look at these. Fear is one. That's what David is stuck in here. This is clearly what is driving him, and it's a condition we all face. It might be something as serious as fear of life, or it might be fear of the loss of a, of a, well, of a loved one, perhaps a relationship, fear of loss of, of possession. Another one that we might face is greed or the pursuit of money. Our own greed and desire for material things brings us to the point of deceit in our pursuit for those material things. Or how about pride? Perhaps David was there even with a little pride at work in his deceit. Pride can certainly drive us to deceit. We have a reputation to protect, or we have a reputation we're trying to build. And sometimes all of our hope is wrapped up in that reputation, and that can be very dangerous, and we need to be on guard for that. Our hope and trust needs to be in the Lord. And as we examine ourselves, we need to be concerned, what is driving us in our deceit? It might be on that short list that I just gave you, or perhaps there's some other reason, but the one key thing that undergirds all of those reasons is a lack of faith. A lack of faith is what drives us to deceit. If we're challenged by fear, placing our faith firmly in the Lord and His provision will carry us through that fear. If we are struggling, struggling with greed, focusing on Christ and recognizing that He provides all we need will help us move past that point. And when we identify that pride is driving us, we need to turn to the Lord and seek His Word to gain perspective on who we truly are before the Lord God. David is truly being tested here, and God will use these occasions to continually shape and mold David. But one thing David is not looking at here is that he's not considering the cost of his deceit. And that's something that we can clearly see now from our perspective. You can put it down in point number two as never underestimate the cost of your deceit. Never underestimate the cost of your deceit. As we enter chapter 22, we quickly see the cost of David's deceit, and it's devastating. Saul summons, summons Ahimelech and all his father's family who were at Nob. Saul calls on Doeg the Edomite to execute all the priests of Nob, and Doeg even goes to the city of Nob to kill all, including men, women, children, even livestock. And it's interesting that Saul treats this city like, like enemies and executes all of them, even though in chapter 15, if you remember with the Amalekites, Saul could not accomplish this. He was instructed to do exactly that by the Lord, but he couldn't do it. But here, he destroys them all. And in, in destroying Nob, he's actually destroying part of his own kingdom. This is a slaughter with so many innocents in this affair, and right at the core of it is David's lies that we can put the responsibility at. The cost of deceit is substantial in this case. And we can never, never guess the cost of our own deceit. It may be substantial like this, and we might see it down the road, 
Or it may appear that nobody ever knew about our deceit, right? But one who certainly knows is the Lord God. Lying alienates us from God. It is not uncommon for us to think of lying as minor, but look at and see what Psalm 5, 6 says about it. Psalm 5, 6 says, You destroy, you being the Lord, by the way, you destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You may think of yourself or not think of yourself as a deceitful person, but I encourage you just to do a self-check. Make sure that you haven't drifted to a point where you've seared your conscience and you don't even realize how often you're doing that. We've already talked about lying searing your conscience, but let's look at some other things that might happen. Lying may influence others to lie along with you when they see you doing it. Proverbs 29.12 says, If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be wicked. Lying can bring separation and mistrust in relationships and among families. Sometimes lying brings deep, deep drifts in relationships, rifts in relationships. So be aggressive in rooting out deceit in your life and never underestimate the cost that will come. If you find yourself in a pattern of deceit, take a good look at what might be driving that. You want to be as far from deceit in your life as you can possibly be. Proverbs 30 verse 8 gives us good advice. Remove far from me, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Proverbs 24 424 gives us similar advice. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Now there's a second thing at play here and I want you to take notice of it. I don't want to miss it. But we don't know what the people of Nob were like and we certainly don't know about their guilt before the Lord. The priests of of Nob may have been completely righteous before the Lord or they may have been like Eli's two sons that were corrupt. I don't know. But clearly God is carrying out his plans as prophesied back in chapter 2. 1 Samuel 2.31 says, Behold, the days are coming. And this is, being, this is a prophecy being given, given to Eli, if you remember. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. And I love this verse 33. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Wow. Did we not just see that take place? So Saul is busy operating on his own strength, his own flawed wisdom, and he's actually working in direct opposition to God. We know that the prophet Samuel, through the Lord has communicated through the prophet Samuel that David would be the next king, yet Saul thinks he can have victory over this matter, and he is gre- aggressively pursuing it. Yet even as Saul is pursuing that and executing all in Nob, he's actually carrying out God's sovereign will, and God's will will be done. Saul's slaughter of the priests is acting in direct fulfillment of this prophecy. And I love the precise nature of this fulfillment in verse 33. All will be killed by the sword except one. And who is that one spoken of? Well, it says in chapter 22, verse 20, But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, 
named Abiathar escaped and fled after David. And in the next chapter, we are told that Abiathar brought with him the ephod. And with that in his hand, Saul killed all the priests. But there is Abiathar with David and the ephod. And symbolically, the priesthood has now passed from Saul to David. God's will be done. We can count on it. God will carry out his plans, and we can bank on that fact, and we should expect it. And that brings us to point three. Expect God's reliable provision. Expect God's reliable provision. When we are faced with temptation to lie or to deceive, we should have an expectant heart that God will provide. He always does. When you are tempted to deceive in that business dealing, remember, it is God who provides all that you have. So trust Him. When you're working on your taxes and you have that temptation on what you're going to list for your income, remember that God is your great provider. When your reputation is at risk, trust that your reputation with the Lord is far more important. Consider the ways that that God dealt with David and the ways that God provided for David all through these two chapters. First of all, he received the showbread, the holy showbread from Ahimelech. The showbread was actually a symbol of God's provision for his people, Israel. And now David is being provided for. By God's providence, the sword of Goliath is there for David to take. Before Achish, God keeps David safe. God providentially provides safety for David's parents in the land of Moab. As you may already know, David's father's grandmother or David's great-grandmother is from Moab. We know her as Ruth from the book of Ruth. And Ruth came to Israel with Naomi and then married Boaz. And that relationship may very well have, been, have made it possible for David to leave his parents in safety in Moab. And then God directed David through the prophet Gad not to remain in the stronghold, but to depart and go back to Israel. And even that must have been a little bit scary. But in fact, that is where we see David for the first time seeming to get back to his old self, trusting in the Lord again. And the same principle is so very, very important for us. You had this passage in your lesson, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. We need to be serious about dealing with deceit in our life. You need to walk away from here and examine yourself and then commit to aggressively root out deceit in your life. And I mean aggressively, root it out. Pastor Mike gave this definition that was very convicting for lying. He said that lying and deception is casting a thought into the mind of someone I am communicating with that is different than what I believe to be true. Lying and deception is casting a thought into the mind of someone I am communicating with that is different than what I believe is true. So if I communicate my, by my selection of words or even by my silence a falsehood, then I am lying. With that definition in mind, let's aggressively root out deceit in our lives. 
And let's never underestimate the cost of our deceit. You may not see it at first, but there is a cost, and that cost may be devastating. And through it all, trust in the Lord God. Expect God's reliable provision. We should expect His provision because He is faithful and true, and if we are trusting fully in God with our eyes focused on Him and focused on His Word, we can truly speak no lies and there will will be found no deceit in our mouths.